Well, good morning, Third Street. I don't know what y'all thought this was. That y'all thought you were going to get away with that weak response. I know it's been a few weeks, but if you think that by now here at Third Street, you don't know how to act, like, that's crazy. I said, good morning, Third Street. I miss you guys, man. I miss you guys. I miss you guys. Uh, I'm so glad uh, to be up here. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Corey. Uh, I am one of the co-pastors. This is the first time I've said that while I'm preaching, yeah. I'm one of the co-pastors here at Third Street uh, Community Church, and this morning it is my distinct honor and privilege to be back in front of you all to do what is probably my favorite part of my job, and that is to bring forth the Word of God. If you've been with us this summer, you know that this summer we've been on a journey, y'all. We've been on a journey in this series called Distracted. Church, if you're rocking with me this morning, say distracted. distracted. Church, if you're ready to see what, what the Word has for us this morning, say distracted. distracted. Church, if you're open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your lives this morning, say distracted. That's what I'm talking about. We've been in this series called Distracted, and it is, uh, it is for my, uh, me to be tasked with closing out this series this morning. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes we, 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 we know the relationship that we ought to have with God. We, we know uh, the faith that, he, that the Holy Spirit has, has gifted us, but that doesn't mean that our eyes don't wander sometimes, does it? Right? Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's, it's our financial circumstances that cause us to, to be distracted from faith a little bit, right? We talked about that. Sometimes it's our busy schedules that cause us to wander a little bit, doesn't it? We talked about that. Sometimes it's some of the hurt and the pain that we've been through in our old selves that cause us to be distracted from our faith. We talked about that. We talked about being distracted by the bag. We talked about being distracted by our schedules. We talked about all these things. And this morning, what I want to conclude our time with together is what it looks like when we get distracted by ourselves, by our shortcomings, distracted by the war in our minds. If you would, Turn with me in the conclusion of the series to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament. It's a letter by the Apostle Paul. We're going to go to the seventh chapter. We're going to read just a few verses this morning because these verses, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to dissect here. And Meek's right. I'm not going to get to it all. Huddle is a wonderful place to keep uh, digging even deeper with what some of these texts have to say. But this is Romans chapter 7. We're going to start our time in verse 21. We're going to read through the conclusion of this chapter. If you have it, say amen. amen. If you're looking up on the screen for it, say bless up. bless up. All right, here we go. The book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he writes it this way. The scripture says this. It says, so I, meaning Paul, I discovered this law, this truth, right? When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body 
waging war against the law of my mind. And it takes me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who? Church, say who? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25 says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I wasn't going to talk about it. Because I don't want to make light of how difficult it is for me to share. I'm going to share this morning this story with a smile. But when I tell you that it took me a long time yesterday morning to get over, I mean, I mean, there was some wrestling. I don't know if you know, but there's a crew of people here, a crew of, uh, uh, of men. I was going to say young men, but KT's there. Um, there's a crew of men that gather on Saturday mornings to hoop. And uh, yesterday, I don't know why, conviction of the Holy Spirit of my inactivity or something, I decided to join them. Why you say, uh-oh? Why? How'd it go? Well, I'm about to tell you. Listen. My body is sore. My body hurts. But nothing hurts more deeply than my pride. I, like Paul, discovered a law of my own. And that law is that I can't move anymore. My, I am still young, which is why this is so convicting. My inactivity over the last three years has caused rust to mount. Twins, I apologize, right? Eli, I apologize, right? These are the guys who had to deal with me yesterday on their team. It's so hard when your mind is still there. When you are minded in the right way, but your body's just not with you anymore. My mind says, catch it in the corner, pull up, shoot. My body says, you ain't got the legs for that. Leave it short. My mind says, backdoor cut to the lane. My body says, smoke the layup. (laughs) My mind says, get back on defense. My body says, they'll figure it out. Yesterday was too real. I'm sorry, KT. Y'all don't know this. I played the first game with KT. After that, he sat out an extra game so he didn't have to play with me anymore. Wow. I know, right? That's y'all's pastor. Just saying. I, 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 I didn't know what to do, guys. My, my mind and my body are at odds with, uh, with one another. And I'm sure if we're being honest with ourselves this morning, whether it's about basketball or not, right, I'm sure you can relate. Your mind is on one page, but your, but your body is on, is on something else. Yeah. 
right? You know one thing to be the right thing, and yet another part of you is contradicting that reasoning to bring you to an alternative conclusion. That's what the Apostle Paul is bringing to us in Romans chapter 7, right? This is, this is, this is Paul. He's, I don't know if you know this, right, but, but he's, he's pretty famous, He's a pretty big deal. He wrote a good portion of the New Testament. We recognize him. We acknowledge him as the gospel globe trotter, the one who had such significant missionary journeys that it's recorded not only in our own scriptures, but in history. The Apostle Paul was a really big deal. And yet here he is in Romans chapter seven, saying that I, yes, even I, even me, the Apostle Paul, as you know me now, I really, really wrestle in my mind. There are two things that seem to be present in my mind at all times. It's, It's the spirit of God, which I have enjoyed since my conversion. And also my own sinful desires that that well up in my flesh. And these two things are at are at war with each other. And he's saying that I, yes, even I, Paul, struggle. In my mind to to take what I know to be spiritual and turn it into obedience. It's it's hard. He's had such a journey. But even as such, he he is not experiencing complete peace and satisfaction. Paul is talking about an internal war. That, that sees himself internally at odds how he should be versus how he actually is. And if you're honest with yourselves this morning, I think you, I think you know what he's talking about, right? He says, so I've discovered this to be The law. I've discovered this, in other words, to be a hard, objective fact. You know, all the research that has to be done to take something from an unfounded theory to an actual law. Paul says, I've lived it. You don't got to keep keep telling me about it no more. I can tell you from personal experience, this is a truth. This is an objective truth that that every time the Spirit of God reminds me that I know better, evil is right there to remind me otherwise. It's a war that wages within Paul. It's a war that wages within, within each of us, and it's a war that's as old as Genesis. Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, when you when you turn there, you can read this war firsthand in its origin in chapter three. God gives the distinct instruction to original man and original woman and tells them, here's here's all that I have for you. Just just don't even worry about that tree over there. Right. And then here comes the war. Right. Here comes the opponent to come and whisper in our ear. Is it really that deep? Is it really that significant? Did he really, like, will you really, really actually like die from it? Or is there maybe an alternative perspective that you're not thinking about? 
And then, and then you see what happens is it goes from this is, this is the instruction that I've been given to now I've listened to this whisper and now I'm starting to reason like, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not that deep. Maybe, 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 maybe I won't really die. Maybe, maybe there is an alternative perspective. And as a result, sin enters into humanity. It's present with Jesus in the wilderness as read in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is on his journey to, to, to connect with his father so deeply as, as his, as his uh, uh, um, like physical ancestors did by wandering for 40 days in the wilderness and, and on this connection with God before he starts his, before he starts his ministry, Satan is present. Well, but would God really want you out here starving though, Jesus? Come on, son of man, you can, you can turn this rock into some bread. Would God really, really, like, would your father really want you to be, to go on to suffer and to die? I can give you all glory and all things under your feet right here, right now. We don't even need to go to, got to go through with all of that. It's a war that was present in Genesis. It was present with Jesus. Paul is letting us know it's present with him and it's present within each of our lives right now. For those of us who have accepted Jesus, we are fighting a battle of how we know we should be. How the spirit reveals to us we can be versus how we actually are. Here's how it goes. When we, when we begin our relationship with Jesus, we receive as a deposit of our soon-to-be inheritance an and, and, and advocate and an helper and a teacher in the form of God's spirit that then makes permanent dwelling within our lives. So, so, so to take this all the way back to, to Sunday school, God lives in you. God, when you begin a, permanent, a relationship with Jesus, God becomes a permanent fixture within your life. He lives, as kids' church would, have, would, would teach it, in your heart. He lives there, right? But, but we, we are still born into sin. When we look around at the realities of our community, at the realities of the world around us, it doesn't look like the Garden of Eden, does it? It doesn't look like heaven, does it? It's okay, we can be honest about that in here. It doesn't look like those things. It doesn't look like eternity, does it? And so, and so that presents then a conflict, a tension between the God within us who knows what's best, the God within us who is transforming us to be more like him, the God within us who by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit is transforming us into unlocking who he saw us always being versus the sinful realities that we have to deal with every single day because we're on this side, the before side of eternity. That's where the conflict comes from. So the problem then, church, is not that this war takes place because we already know who won that war. 
We just still in it a little bit. The problem then is not that this war takes place. The problem is how we respond to it. Church, I need you to hear me say this, right? If you've already turned me, tuned me out because, because of the low humming of the AC units in the back and it's really, really warm in here, I need you to come back if for no other purpose than to hear me say this right here. The war within your mind is not what is not you being crazy. The war within you internally between how the spirit reveals you can be versus your current and present condition is not unique to you. As a matter of fact, I would even I would even go on to say as much that it's normal. It's expected. The war in your mind, the voices in your head, that is real and it's normal. Yes. That's a real thing. Yes. And it also isn't actually the problem. It is merely the result of where we're at in eternal history, where we've been blessed to receive Christ's grace, but we have yet to reach completion on the final day. So if it's not the problem, then the problem must not be the fact that it exists. It must be the fact that of how we respond, yeah. right? Because here's, here's what I see happening, right? Uh -huh. One common response to this war within ourselves is discouragement. We get really down on ourselves. Like, dang it, I do know better. But I just, I just, I just can't kick this thing. I just keep, I just keep, I've been trying and I've been, you know, and, and the word says and pastor says, and, but I just, I just, ah, and we get down on ourselves and we beat ourselves up. We lose confidence in our walk with Christ because if I'm this frustrated with myself, imagine how God feels, right? That's a lie. And it's a lie because it causes us to lose sight of God's beautiful creation. It causes us to lose sight of who we truly are and who we were made to be. We start telling ourselves, I'm nothing more than an addict. I'm nothing more than whatever. Right? I'm guilty. But that is a discouragement that comes from the devil to isolate you from the promises that says you're beautiful, you're saved, you're redeemed, and you are on the way to a full restoration where you don't have to wrestle with this sinful body anymore. You don't have to wrestle with your physical condition anymore. That someday for all of eternity will be free. But we get so discouraged by getting locked into this battle. I just can't kick it. I just can't move past it. We get discouraged. That's one way. Maybe that's not how you're handling it right now. Maybe you're maybe you are, are like some of our other brothers and sisters and, and, and you don't get discouraged. You start to make yourself feel better by comparing your situation to other people's situations. 
right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I got this struggle over here, but my struggle with this ain't nothing like my brother over here, right? Hey, 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 I know that I keep, I keep going on and on and I keep slipping up and I keep da-da-da, but I'm not actually hurting anybody with my stuff. Meanwhile, there's whole murderers over here. And we start to compare ourselves in comparison to other people's sin, or should I say their visual sin, right? And we start telling ourselves that, 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 well, there's a weight to this, right? Yeah, I can't, I can't stop cussing, but so-and-so can't stop drinking. Or maybe, I know, sorry, I'm not done. Or maybe you're one of our brothers and sisters who you don't really get discouraged you don't really compare. Matter of fact, your way of dealing with, with the conflict within you yeah. is to justify your decisions, right? You're one of those people who, who, who changes your theology. Let me say it another way. You're one of those people who changes what you believe about God and what God is saying in order to, to match the preferences that you want to be true, whether they are or aren't actually outlined in Scripture. Y'all can take that however you want to, right? It seems real personal to some of y'all. I'm just saying that sometimes we get so caught up in what we want to be true because we don't want to feel bad about ourselves or, or, or somebody else's situation or a reality of our world or our community. And so instead, it's easier for us, instead of dealing with that conflict, it's easier for us to change what we think about God or make his words match our agenda than it is to actually deal with the fact that some of these things things live in tension with one another because we are saved, but we're not perfect. That heaven is coming, but it's not here yet. That Christ already came, but he's not done. It's tough. What's the battle for you? What's the battle for you? How are you responding? I'm being so serious when I say, like, I want you to take a genuine self-assessment. How are you responding to this internal conflict? We all got the internal conflict. It's just, I don't know if you're aware of yours or not. The, ra- the reality then of where this understanding should take us, right? This understanding of the internal conflict can take us to discouragement. It can take us to justification. It can take us to, to comparison to all these other uh, sinful things, right? Where it should take us is is to a place of understanding then that we, and by we, I mean all of us, stand in need of a Savior. That if there is nothing I can do, this is just a reality of our world that I'm going to exist within myself in conflict, then something has got to change my circumstance. Paul goes on in Romans chapter seven to say, what a wretched man I am. I feel awful. This is the apostle Paul. This is the gospel globetrotter. This is the dude who's saving thousands. And he's like, I'm wretched too. I know you looking at me like you Paul and I'm ratchet, but I'm ratchet too. What a wretched 
I say ratchet, but you know. You know, it really is the same thing if you think about it. What a wretched man I am. It's phonetics, it's spelling. And then, and then he says, who will save me? It's like, man, I'm out here like minds and hearts are being liberated from sin while other parts of us struggle to catch up and, and, and be free. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.2, indeed, we groan in this tent, in this body, desiring to put on our, our heavenly dwelling. Like we are, we are trapped in this, right? So then he says, who will save me? You know what's super interesting about that? Dangers of casual reading might cause us to miss it. But I think what's more interesting than what he says is in some cases is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what will save me from this. He doesn't say what will save me. What thing can I turn to to be saved from this ratchet, I mean wretched state? What thing can I turn to in my internal anguish to make me feel better internally and externally? He doesn't say, what can I turn to? He says, who? Who will save me? Our desire to do what is sinful cannot be reasoned away. Nor can it be defeated by simply me saying we know better, right? How many of us have heard that before? We, we know better. Well, that doesn't defeat my sin. That doesn't make the struggle any less. You saying don't be anxious and not finishing the rest of that text in Philippians does not actually help my anxiety. You saying take heart for God overcame the world doesn't actually make me feel better about my depression. So while the law of Moses outlines how, how God would have us live, the law itself as revealed in the scriptures doesn't actually defeat sin. Because if it did, then we wouldn't need Jesus. What Paul realizes is we don't need a better understanding necessarily of the law. We need the heart of the law revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't need another thing to be our savior. We need someone to step in and save us. Right? What Paul realizes is that we need a divine Savior. And we need a divine Savior that comes with the divine power to overcome the chains that sin keeps us in. A Savior and a power that is capable of taking an understanding of what's godly and actually empowering it to become obedience. You want me to say it again? A savior and a power that is capable of taking an understanding of what is godly for us and empowering it to become obedience. Church, here's the bottom line. There is a deliverer. There is a deliverer who, who came to this earth 
and still to this day is appealing to your heart to free you from your deepest and your darkest chains. Hard to believe, isn't it? It's okay. You can be silent on that one. That's appropriate. Because it is hard to believe. It's hard to believe because you know how dark and wretched you really are. You know the things about you that you've been struggling with that nobody else in this room knows about you that you've been struggling with. You know the things that if the person next to you really, really knew about you might cause them to look at you a whole different way. You know the things that quietly in the privacy of your own space, you've been trying to overcome by yourself and you know how badly you've been losing that battle. And yet the good news that I stand this morning on good ground to reveal to you or remind you of is that there is a deliverer. There is a savior. There is a redeemer. There is somebody who stands in the fire with you. There is somebody who won't allow those chains to hold you down any longer. There is a liberator who sets you free from these things, who tells you the good news is you don't have to stay here. You don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be anxious. There is something that I have that is better for you and that I'm not going to leave you alone to figure it out on your own because you ought to know better by now. I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to live inside of you, right? And I'm going to empower you to become like me, how I always saw you. The good news this morning is that for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we are not left to fight this battle alone. Let me leave that alone for a second because, because there is good news for those of us in this room this morning that have yet to begin a relationship with Jesus. I, can't, I see you. I can't let you go. I have to let you know that if you have yet to begin a relationship with Jesus and you still struggle internally, my brother, my sister, there is another way. And it's not found in a bottle. It's not found in a bag. It's not found in a relationship. It's not even found with an earthly person. It is found in a heavenly father who saw you long before you saw you, who knew you long before mommy and daddy knew you, who knows every hair on your head and knows the plans that he is capable of giving to you if you would just let go of your own chains and turn to your father who has been appealing to your heart. I know he has. It's not a hopeful voice in your head. It is the voice of God, the God who created you, who is beckoning you, who is calling you, who is begging you to come home. He wants to begin a relationship with you, not so that the scriptures say, not so that he can condemn you, not so that he can hold up a mirror and remind you of how wretched you are, because I know that this world already does that enough for you. But he is beginning a relationship with you to set you free. And when you have that faith and that relationship in Jesus, then we do not any longer have to deal with this internal war on our own. Because God, in a relationship with him, offers grace and truth. 
He offers the grace to tell us, I see that it's difficult. I'll let you walk again. And he offers us the truth to tell us, sin no more. A relationship with God offers us community. Right? I know it's a lot of us that, that want the relationship with God, but it's, it's a relationship with other believers that we're shying away from. But, but this is a part of the design that God has for us to offer us community so that even in our hardest days when we're sitting there all alone, like, God, it doesn't feel like you're with me. You have somebody who physically will. God offers us community that will be the support and challenge that we need in the moments when this war seems too much. And, and a relationship with God offers a way out. Paul writes elsewhere in a letter to the Corinthians. He says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. In other words, it's normal. Paul just reiterated what he said in Romans, what I said in point one. He said, there is no temptation that has come upon you that is not common to humanity. In other words, if you felt it, so is the person next to you. But while you deal with your own shame, your brother next to you is suffering, right? That's what that means. It says, but God, somebody in here help me this morning and say, but God, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, I mean, what he is capable of. But with the temptation, he will also provide, here it is, a way out so that you may be able to bear it. In other words, when the storm gets too significant, right? When temptation is real heavy, when that internal battle is real, real thick, God promises through relationship with me, there is an escape. There is another way. There is a trap door. You're not a prisoner. You are set free and you may go. And it may be hard to believe, I know. I know the realities that I'm poking, I'm poking at in your heart, but it is true. It brings me to this picture as I was praying this morning about how I wanted to, to relay this. I believe that the Lord gave me this picture in my mind. And I believe that both sides of this picture speak to many of us in here. Our present condition, the first thing that I saw is how so many of us are treating this internal conflict and a relationship with God while dealing with our sinful nature as a cyclical argument, right? That we're just stuck in this, in this, in this circle. We're just going around and around and around. We're just going like, God's grace, I'm a sinner. God's grace, I'm a sinner. God's grace, I'm a sinner. And we just go over and over and over. Thank God for Jesus, I'm still depressed. Thank God for Jesus, I'm still anxious. Thank God for Jesus, I'm still broke. And we live in this tension and we go in this wheel over and over and over, kind of like a Ferris wheel. Right? We're stuck in this Ferris wheel. The thing about a Ferris wheel is that it just goes up around and around and around, but it doesn't actually go anywhere, right? You're stuck in this cycle where you come up to the top and you're like, look how beautiful our city is. And then you come down into it and you're like, maybe a little less. 
And then you go back up top and you're like, look how beautiful the city is. And then you come back down and you're like, maybe a little less, right? You go back up to the top, look how beautiful the, that our God is. And then you come back down and you're like, I shouldn't have hit that third hot dog, right? And we just go around and around and around in this circle, but we don't actually go anywhere. But, but then the Lord revealed to me as I was praying that there are other objects that also go around and around and around, but they take you somewhere. There are other objects like a car tire that spin around and around and around. A car tire is also stuck in this cycle. Sinful nature, God's grace. Sinful nature, God's grace. Sinful nature, God's grace. And yet it gets you somewhere, doesn't it? You actually reach a destination that's promised, don't you? Can I ask you a question? What's the difference? What's the difference in the mechanics of a Ferris wheel as opposed to a car tire? Why can a Ferris wheel spin and go nowhere versus a car tire who takes you somewhere? Why? What's the difference? Why is a Ferris wheel bound to repeat its cycles and stay stagnant while a car tire sets us free to move forward? You know what the difference is? What it's attached to. The Ferris wheel is built to be attached to a stationary system that is meant and built to keep it in place. While a car tire is attached to a vehicle that is built to, to be a whole lot of parts that work in tension with one another, but move us forward. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that some of us have attachments that we need to let go of in order for our spinning to take us forward, right? What I'm not trying to do is offer a further remedy than what Christ already has for the cyclical argument of our sinful nature versus Christ's grace, right? Jesus already answers that. What I am attempting to do is point out and call out some of the stationary objects we have attached ourselves to that we may not realize, but were originally built and constructed to keep us in place exactly where we are and not allow us to move forward. See, on the other side, Jesus saw fit to set up his church to function as a moving vehicle. Even the fact that they call his church a temple, Peter corrects that theology and says, we're more like living stones, right? In other words, if we're a building, we're a building that can move, right? If we're a people, we're a people on the go, right? The original church was called the way. It wasn't called the place. You feel me? The church was was meant to be on the move. It was meant to be a body made up of many parts that function in support and also in tension with one another to move this thing toward a destination. And so what this looks like is it looks like us attaching ourselves to then what is godly. Ah, I hate to disappoint you. I don't have answers beyond Jesus to the cycle in your mind. But what I do have to offer is 
a calling to attach yourself instead of something to something that is stationary, to something that is living, to something that is moving, to something that wants to take you to a place that is promised for eternity, right? We attach ourselves then to a relationship with God. We fix our minds on things above. We, we attach ourselves to relationships with other believers who will not only say, like, support us and keep us in that Ferris wheel and tell us it's all going to be okay, you're safe here, but will offer the challenge that we need to not be stationary but to move forward, right? It's support and challenge, right? We attach ourselves to the power and the promptings of the Holy Spirit to know when it's time to slow down, to know when it's time to speed up, to know when it's time to make a turn, make a change, or stop for some fuel. We attach ourselves to the power and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Church, there is a battle, and that battle that takes place not only within us, is taking place within our church. We will, we will long for an end to this mental suffering. We will long for an end until Jesus comes back. That is the tension that we live in now. But until then, the good news that I have for us this morning is that the Lord has provided us the people, the promptings, and the power to overcome, to move forward. And it is important for us as a church to embody this for each other, for our community, and for our world at large. Let's pray. Father God, God, we thank you that where there did not seem to be a way, you made a way. God, we thank you that out of nothing, you created everything. And out of our situations, you can create life. You can produce joy. You can produce love. Lord, we praise you that you have that skill set. You have that mastery. You have that wisdom and that infinite power. Lord, we want to experience that. So, Lord, we forgive, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've attached ourselves to things that aren't going anywhere. We pray for forgiveness for ways that we've allowed the wrestling in our mind to cause us to be cynical. We pray for forgiveness for the ways that we've spoken out against you, your will, your intention, or your church because of our own hurt, because of our own dissatisfaction because of our, the way that we have chosen to deal with the tension of living in a fallen world, but having the promise of eternity. Lord, we pray for forgiveness so that we may receive in this space our daily bread. Lord, provide us with the confidence in knowing who you made us to be. Lord, we pray that you would provide us with the patience to see this process of salvation, this process of transformation through. Lord, we pray that, that you would give us the wisdom of perspective to understand where we are in light of eternity. And God, I pray that you would give us the hope 
that we need to see another day through in your light and in your glory. God, I pray for the perseverance that it requires to follow what your son has said is a narrow path, but is a path indeed that leads us not into temptation, not into destruction, not into further darkness, but rather delivers us, frees us from evil. We pray these things by the mighty name of your son who makes it all possible. In Jesus' name we pray. All who believe say, bless up.